Welcome to our podcast at the Clemson Foothills Church. We're glad you're here. Join us as we discover what the Bible says about Jesus loving God and serving each other. Feel free to visit our website at clemsonfoothills.com and find us on Facebook at Clemson Foothills Church. At CFC, we're just a group of people following Jesus and helping others do the same. So hopefully this podcast will be useful to you. Now let's dive into the episode for this week. Scripture reading today is going to come from 1 Peter 2, um, verses 1 through 12. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by people, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. For this is contained in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will not be put to shame. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for unbelievers, a stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this they were also appointed. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as foreigners and strangers to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your souls. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your they may because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God on the day of visitation. Thank you, Jessica, for reading that. And uh, some great singing. I really appreciate it. And communion. Um, uh, it's definitely an emotional day when you listen to the words that we're singing, when you contemplate what we're singing and you know, the scriptures that we're taking a look at. Uh, I think you can't help but be emotional if you really are you're thinking about it. So it kind of feels weird to me. I don't know about you. First day of spring, sunshine in the afternoon, sleeping in for the first time all week. And I'm like, is this really Sunday? This is, 
Now, I'm tempted like everyone else to go this morning, you know, say this morning or something like that. So if I do, please forgive me. But uh, I'm really excited to have the opportunity to talk to you this morning. This feels weird to be up here with a smaller group. It feels better being all together in, uh, in a, a smaller group. But we have folks that are joining us uh, this afternoon uh, virtually. There's, uh, you know, who knows, between the pollen and, and eyes watering and sneezing and stuff, I mean, everyone's a little maybe nervous about what's going on, but... Um, Spring break, too. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So um, we'll go ahead and get started. What I want to do is share with you, we are talking about a journey to spiritual maturity. And a journey begins at some point and then you're on it and then a journey what typically happens is it takes time and on that journey of taking time there can be obstacles that get in your way and sometimes it can feel like you have to take a detour sometimes it feels like you're going slower than you want sometimes it feels like i'm making good time and i'm speeding up and things are great you're in good weather bad weather you get the idea of what i'm saying that can be like our spiritual journey. And so what we've been doing in our lessons, both on uh, Sundays and on midweeks, is talking about this journey. We, we were talking about some foundational items in our spiritual journey as individuals. And we've kind of shifted to talking about our journey to spiritual maturity corporately, as a community. And I think sometimes this is the part that we really get weird about, okay? Because we, as Americans, are very individualistic. We focus on things individually. We apply things individually. We stand alone. It's just ourselves. It's just what, how we're impacted and what we think. But the scripture talks about us being in a community of believers. There's a lot about what we need to be both individually and corporately in the community. There is a responsibility that we have. If you look at it, it's one of the things we're talking about in my family group on our midweeks is the one anothering. What in the world is one anothering? The scriptures that talk about what we need to do with one another. And so just to catch some folks up, if you're visiting, to kind of give you some context of where you're at, because you can come into this and go, whoa, what is going on here? So what we've been learning, for example, uh, Keith, our, our minister, shared from Romans 12, that we, though are many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. That's deep. When you think about it, it, when you really start thinking about that, the implications of that, we are individually members of one another. In other words, it's like this finger is individually a member of this hand, which is a part of my body. It's all connected. And Paul talks about that in Corinthians. We're not gonna go there right now, but basically we are interwoven. We are meant to function together, not just individually. Think about our culture. Our culture wants us to function individually, yeah. alone. We can pick up, we can go anywhere because it's just us. 
It's just me. It's just me and God. I can be anywhere and worship Him on one level. That's true, but it's not scriptural. That's right. True. Okay? So, you and I are the body of Christ. You and I are members of one another. That's amazing. Because we don't like each other necessarily. <laughs> I mean, there are people that we have difficult time relating to. No. And you're saying we're members of one another. We're all together in this. We're one part of one body. And you're like, yay. <laughs> I felt that way. You know, we've looked at our worship. Our worship is coming together as a community. It is, as we've been learning, our living sacrifice, pleasing to God. Our worship isn't just here during this brief time. Our worship is what we're doing all the time, corporately, being in each other's lives. Now think about that. Is that what we're doing? Is that how we're living this life as a follower of Jesus? Or is it mostly just me? So we'll come back to that in a little bit. So one of the things that really get in the way, and we talked about this, and it's really connected with me personally, that get in the way of our truly being members of one another, the body of Christ, with Christ the head, we talked about three things. One was pride. One was individualism. And the other one was being apathetic, having apathy. Those three things will kill our ability to come together. They keep us apart. And what we learned, and I'm just giving you some background before we jump into our lesson for today, we saw the marks of these being the pride, the independence, the apathy, was that if you are experiencing this, here's some symptoms. You're easily offended. You're argumentative. You're a poor listener. You're constantly talking. You're the one that has to keep talking unless someone interrupts you and asks you a question. Fear of failure. Not being a team player. You're an expert on everything. So no one can tell you anything. I don't know about you, when I heard that lesson, I was like, whoa, okay. There were definitely some darts that hit me on that, okay? And if you came away from that unscathed, I think you need to think about it a little bit more because I think pride and independence and apathy are really something we all, at some part of ourselves, struggle with at some time. We learn the fruits of humility where uh, if someone's humble, and they are in a relationship with God and with the community, they pay attention to where they can meet needs. They experience an unburdened life. They seek first to understand. They're not looking to compare. They're good listeners. They accept input and critique, and they're peaceful and kind. I, had, I saw that list that Keith gave, and I'm going, I want that. <laughs> I mean, I want that. I want that to be my fellowship. I want that to be who I am. And when you hear it, you're like, okay, 
kind of promise humility because there's stuff that gets in the way of me being that way. <clears throat> so in our moving on in our journey to spiritual maturity, this requires us to make some intentional decisions to change. It does. You can't just agree with this and go, that's beautiful, that's wonderful. You have to go, okay, I'm going to start somewhere. I'm going to start with something. I can't do all of it. I mean, you make a list. I can't do all of it. I have to start somewhere. So start where ever. <laughs> start. And so as we looked at it, we just have to change from the pattern of our culture and worldly thinking. And remember Paul's admonition in Romans 12:2. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's transformation. So today, we'll continue to talk about this transformation, this journey, which is really repentance. We're, you know, as we're transforming, it's, a, it's a, a decision I'm going to change. I changed my mind about who I'm going to be, how I'm going to live today. Today is going to be different, an intentional choice. So let's make sure we're in Peter 2. And we'll start in verse 1. And let's go back through this again because sometimes it, it has taken me a lot of reading with this to start to get what is going on. He says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that it, by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion's stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. 
wow, there is so much here. There's so much great imagery. I mean, the imagery that he's talking about is a newborn infants longing for pure spiritual milk, growing up into salvation, tasting that the Lord is good, living stones, spiritual house, spiritual sacrifices. You go, wow, there's, there's a lot of stuff here. It's interesting, but what, what's it all about? What is Peter trying to get us to understand? I think first we need to take a step back because the very first part of the scripture that we saw here, the first word was so. And so indicates that something happened before that that is telling us this connector of so do this. Because I said these things, then so this is what you need to do. Does that make sense? So in chapter 1, what he tells them is that he reminds them of the hope they have because they've been born again in Jesus Christ. He tells them that they need to prepare their minds for action and set their hope on the grace of God. He calls them to be obedient children and not conform to the ways that they lived before that they had been ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from their forefathers. And that ransom was paid with the precious blood of Christ. In chapter 1, he reminds them they've been purified, that uh, they've purified their souls by their obedience to the truth, which is the word of God. That they have been born again. He encourages them to have a sincere brotherly love for one another. And that their being born again is not of a perishable seed, but an imperishable seed through the living word of God. The word is the good news that was preached to them. So we go to chapter two and he carries this theme forward and says, so put away all malice all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And what's really interesting, he says, put away. What he's saying, what they would have heard him say is, take off those filthy clothes. Put away. Take it off. Just, if you were filthy, it's like coming in and working in the yard all day, you're grimy, gritty, get it off. Just throw it off. What are we to put off? Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Those are words I don't use all the time. I mean, malice, I'm not quite sure. I had to look some of these things up. I'll give you a quick answer. Malice is where you want to hurt somebody, harm them, make them suffer. That's not good. Deceit, trying to deceive someone by concealing or misrepresenting the truth. Hypocrisy, I think we're familiar with that, where you're acting one way or really another. Envy, being discontented or resentful of someone else's possessions, qualities, or achievements. Slander, making false, damaging statements about someone. You go, yeah? Well, those behaviors were why we were ransomed. That's what cost the blood of Christ. That is the connection point here that we need to understand. 
Yet these behaviors are learned within us. We have to be told to stop doing it. These are in us. We learned them from our parents. We learned them from our culture. This has been ingrained into us, and we have to stop. We have to cast it off. You know, what is really strange about this when you read it is Paul's telling this to Christians. He isn't telling this to worldly people. He's telling them to Christians. You have to put this stuff off. You have to change your mind about how you're going to behave. So no one likes being on the receiving end of these things, do we? You go, everyone hates it. But we do it. It's the weirdest thing, isn't it? That we'll do the very thing that we would hate someone to do to us. These behaviors separate us from each other and God, and it makes our worship of God futile. We can't be living sacrifices and behave this way. And you go, well, I agree with that. What's the problem, Steve? Why are you spending much time on this? Because Peter did. It's an issue. This is something that you actually have to make a decision that I'm going to transform away from these things where I have these behaviors. Let's move on to verse 2. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. There's some really interesting points here. What I'd like you to notice is the appetite God's people should have for the Word of God. What he's saying is, is that we need to be like babies who want to be fed. The Word of God is the spiritual milk. And we need to crave it. We need to desire it. We need to want it. You know, I have two new grandchildren. I have Koa and Jade, and I've been spending time with them. One of them's over here in the corner right now being quiet, which is great, but let me just tell you, when Koa wants milk, or when Jay wants milk, they're not quiet about it. <laughs> you know what they want. They start screaming. And if you don't give it to them, they start shaking. If you don't still give it to them, they start changing color. And then, I mean, they just, <laughs> they make faces. Can you imagine if that's the way you were when you couldn't be fed God's word? When you couldn't get God's word? that you long for it that much that you get upset when you can't have it. That you'd miss it. It's such an interesting comparison that he says. And, and yet, what's so funny is that my, grand, my grandchildren, when you get that bottle, they, you, you see their eyes going like this, or looking like that. Their eyes are coming together. The focus is right there. It's just right on the bottle. Give it to me. Happy. Happy. They are so fired up. And then what happens? Oh, that's great. Give me more. More. I'm done with that one. Load me up again. And it's so interesting, but this is what Peter wants us to do in regards to God's Word, is to want to desire it that way and feed on it that way. Interesting. Is that where we're at? 
earth. Disciples should crave and long for God's word. They should have a desire to read it, to hear it, to obey it, to share it. And nothing should satisfy them except the real thing. I mean, it would be inconceivable that we could go a day without God's word, just as it would for a baby without milk. I want you to notice something else in verse 2. That it is by the spiritual milk, which is God's word, that we may grow up into salvation. Grow up into salvation. That's very interesting. It says, the scripture is telling us that salvation is a mature state. It's not something immediately achieved at conversion. Whoa, what did you just say? I, are you mature the moment you're converted? Really? Are you spiritually mature the moment you're converted? No. You have to start growing up. You have to start growing up. Just like a baby when it's born isn't grown up. It has to grow up. It has to begin the growing process. We get really weird in doctrine and thinking that once you have that salvation moment, one and done. I'm done. Fully baked. No, you're not. You just began your walk to transform into the image of Jesus Christ. You just began. You have to grow up. The confession that Jesus is Lord actually has to be lived out. The ticket is not punched. You have to start putting off the old self, which is where he began, so put off. And you have to start putting on Jesus. You have to start clothing yourself with Jesus. That is a process. That is something that begins. That has to be worked on. Does that make sense? Now, here's another thing that's interesting. Verse 2, there's a lot here. The if statement. Who's a math fan here? William's a math fan. He raised his head. There's an if statement here. So what happens with an if statement? He says that by it, God's word, you may grow up into salvation if... That's a condition, okay? If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So what is that? If you've tasted the Lord is good. So let me ask you, does the Lord taste good to you? You go, what a weird question that is. That is a weird question. Well, Peter's the one saying, does the Lord taste good to you? And you got don't be quick to answer in your head. Oh, sure, absolutely. Delicious. Delicious, it's wonderful, yes. <laughs> well, how do you know? How would you know if he tastes good to you? Well, I think one way 
is that you've actually read God's word, you started putting it into practice, and you started beginning the change and transformation, and you saw it happen in your life. I think right there, you would start to go, wow, there is power in God's word. There's change, real change. <laughs> think how many people who go to church who never change. They do not experience the transformation that comes from God's word by taking it, learning it, and putting it into practice. They break down somewhere along the line. Really learn it, really understand it. It's kind of like, I'm gonna to go to Clemson, and I'm gonna get a degree, and I'm not gonna get a job. I'm done. I got my degree. I learned it. Is that what we do? I hope not. I think our parents would be really disappointed if that's what we do. I got my degree. I'm an engineer. I'm not going to do it. No. That wouldn't make any sense. Neither does it make sense for a disciple or follower of Jesus to learn about God's word and not do it not put it into practice, not experience the change. So does the Lord taste good to you? Or do you avoid the spiritual food? Do you crave to taste other things? If you do, you're not going to grow spiritually. It's not going to happen. You're going to be spiritually weak. You're going to lack convictions about sin. Jesus will not be Lord. You won't be able to put off the old life or truly claim the new one. Kind of to sum this up, I think what I'm reminded of is in Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 9, where he says, Therefore, it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding them up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those who whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. Interesting that there's more talking about taste in this scripture. Are we tasting the word of God? So let's move on to verses 4 and 5 in 1 Peter 2. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God's chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So what we see here is that Jesus is the living stone. He is the capstone. And what does that mean? It means he's foundation. He is the foundation. He's the, the part where it all hangs together. The whole building is supported, and, and that is what we build on. 
And on this foundation of the living stone, we find ourselves being built together as living stones. Have you ever considered yourself as a living stone that has been meant to be built together? We can't be individualistic and be built together. You see this? Yeah. So what happens if you're a living stone and the master builder is putting you into this spiritual building? What's he going to do with you? He's going to put you where he wants you to be. He is going to shape you. He's going to maybe smooth you, sand you, whatever, and put you where he wants you to be. And that may not be super comfortable for you. <laughs> It may be a challenge to be shaped and formed and placed, perhaps where you individually don't want to be. So we are being built up into this spiritual house. Are we allowing that to happen? Are we being distracted by other things? Again, if we're prideful and apathetic or independent, we're not going to let that happen. And that's scary. We can only be built together into a spiritual temple if we humble ourselves. Otherwise, if we disobey God's word, if we remain prideful and unbelieving, Jesus will not be our foundation. Instead, he will be our stumbling stone that it talks about in the scripture here. He'll be the one that we get tripped up on. We'll get tripped up if he's not our foundation. In verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I am amazed by the titles and honors and responsibilities that Christ has put on us. I've, this is so encouraging to me. When you look at it, say, we are a chosen race. We're the elect. We're the ones he's chosen. He's called us. He's appointed us for eternal glory. And we received our appointment when we were baptized into Christ and we were found in him. We're a royal priesthood. Christ is our king. And those in Christ are therefore his royal priesthood. We as priests reach out to people on behalf of God to make an appeal on his behalf for them to repent and enter into his kingdom. What an incredible responsibility. We're a holy nation. We are called to be holy as God is holy. We will be judged by what we do. We must truly, all of us, corporately put on holiness. We are a people for God's possession, and we need to be uniquely his, his very own, and not belong to anyone else. Why? Why are we these things? Why do we have these titles? It's to tell everyone about the excellencies of God. That's, that's the reason. Because of what He has done for us. Because we proclaim Him God and King. We evangelize. 
In verse 10, he says, once you are not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Consider the love that God has for us. What motivation does this create in you? Peter tells us this in verse 11 and 12, where we close out. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We as a community of believers need to live in this world as if we're just passing through. We're just sojourners. This isn't our citizenship here. It's in heaven. This isn't where we belong. This world, this culture, the values, they're completely against our king. Are we living as sojourners, as exiles? Or are we embracing the culture? Are we living as citizens here? How we live matters. We got to put off the passions of the flesh. They're at war with us. They can destroy our very soul. How we live matters. People need to see us and our church as being so very different that our values don't reflect this world of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Yeah, people might misunderstand us. They might persecute us for being different. But then on the last day, the judgment day, people will acknowledge that God's way is right. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about us or have any questions, please visit ClemsonFoothills.com. You can also text Foothills to 94000 to stay up to date on everything going on here at CFC. 